Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet and would you welcome our OC campus pastor, Bianca Oltop, as she comes to bring the word. It's great to be in the house of God. You all can take a seat. Uh, Yes, as Pastor Tim had mentioned, uh, my better half, the better looking one of the relationship, I got the brains and he got the looks. Uh, He is on a flight right now uh, to go to our OC campus and it is so fun. We were at dinner last night with Pastor Tim and Robin and... um, and I just, I need to just pause and take just, just 30 seconds and give honor where honor's due because while we were at dinner, we have the Golden Gate Bridge on, on the side. It wasn't the Golden Gate Bridge. Bay Bridge. See, y'all, I'm clearly not from here. The Bay Bridge that was all lit up and we're having these amazing life-changing conversations about you. And I'm listening to your pastors talk about you and what God is doing here in this house. And I was like, I don't even think I'm Christian. Like, in fact, I don't even know if I'm saved because these guys are busting out theology and heart and mission and vision. So I think y'all owe them a round of applause for sacrificing so much time. Yes, yes, so much time. I love and appreciate you guys. You guys are an inspiration to me. So uh, in the church planning journey, we are six months old and praise God, we've made it this far, amen. We're a pop-up church like this church. And so we roll in early and we set it up. And you know what I love is the fact that I get to be here today. It is the capital C church. It's not just one church. It's the church around the globe. And I love that I get to preach here and the same message I'm gonna take all the way down to Orange County tonight to our church that meets at five o'clock. What y'all may not know is that you were part of something so much bigger. So it is an honor to be here today. And in the church planning journey, I've really tried getting my life together. Like I'm a pastor now. I should be totally organized. I should be on time. I should have spreadsheets. I should color code things. But I'm Latina, which means that like I run on CPT. I can't show up anywhere on time. Some of y'all know what that is, bless God. (laughs) Can't show up anywhere on time. Love a good party. Popped out of the womb with high heels and 10 pounds of makeup. And, uh, And I cannot get organized. I've been on this run of, I travel and I get to do amazing things like go into prisons and bring the gospel and go to conferences and churches and preach God's word. And every trip, I was on this run where every trip I forgot something. Like I tried so hard to have my life just come together. I tried being organized and I was about to take off to Austin, Texas to speak at a big conference. And I said, you know what? Not today, Satan, I'm gonna be organized. So I had my luggage. I laid everything outside of my luggage. I counted everything. I made sure that everything was there because I have traveled to churches and somehow forgot my Bible. I'm a horrible pastor. I have forgotten, I have forgotten shoes. I have forgotten undergarments. Like who does that? This girl right here. So on this trip, I said, not today, Satan. I laid everything out, packed it, made sure it was there, packed it in my suitcase, woke up the next morning, hopped in an Uber, went to LAX to fly out of Los Angeles International Airport. I was so prepared. I had such pride. I walked up to the counter and I checked in and they said, oh, welcome, Mrs. Oldtuff. We have a free upgrade for you. I was like, hey, praise God. Hello. Come on, somebody. Favor ain't fair. I walk into first class like a baller, like my life is together. Amen. Man, glory, hallelujah, acting like I'm supposed to be in first class, you know, when in doubt, pinkies out, I'm sipping a little water, like, yay. We're about to take off and I reach into my bag 
which I noticed was oddly light. And I'm trifling in the bag, and all of a sudden I realized, oh, sweet God. I called my husband, panicked. I said, love, love, there's an emergency. He said, what happened? Are you okay? I said, I forgot my makeup bag. <laughs> now, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is San Francisco, and people are really organized, and their life is together. They're very natural. They don't really wear makeup. Listen, it might not be trauma for you, but it was traumatic for me because I wear makeup like RuPaul, okay? Like, I don't look the same without makeup. I'm like, can, 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 can you allow me to go buy makeup? This is an emergency. Can we take it to the kids' college fund? Like, I need cement, baby, you know? When I wear lashes, I want you to blink and feel the spirit of God, okay? And he said, he's the real Christian of our relationship. He said, B, what if the Lord wants you to be natural? Natural? Get behind me, Satan. This is spiritual warfare. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We can joke about these traumatic situations, but in psychology, there's little T trauma, everyday microaggressions that affect your life. And then there's capital T trauma. Situations that may make you question God, safety, theology, good in the world. I remember my 21st birthday, when most 21-year-olds are receiving beautiful presents or words of encouragement, I received a phone call from my father that let me know that my mom had been diagnosed not with one, but two forms of cancer. One of them was brain cancer. And in that moment, time stood still, and I heard words but I couldn't understand life. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you hear what people are saying, but your soul and your mind and your heart are fritzing because it's not supposed to be this way. And in my mind, I remember thinking, how could you do this, God? My parents moved into the heart of East LA to plant a church in the concrete jungles of Los Angeles where there's gang warfare and graffiti is not graffiti, it's called art, all right? Where people are so poor, can't afford the OR, we just pope. You know, like, why would you do that? My mom was a homeschool mom of five kids. She married an ex-Marine. My mom deserves a yacht and a private island. She does not deserve a terminal sentence. The doctor told my dad to prepare for a 30% chance of living and get her funeral organized. She received a death sentence on that day. I remember being so angry and saying, God, give cancer to pedophiles, give cancer to human traffickers. I mean, give cancer to guys that kick little dogs or people that tell children that Santa doesn't exist. But don't give cancer to my mom. In those moments where you're thinking, we did everything right, we did everything for you, as a, as a follower of Christ, or someone that's even questioning to follow Christ, you might not know the why, but you must know the who. You must know the who. If you're taking note today, the title of the message is Even If You Don't. Even If You Don't. Uh, today, I want to speak to the person in this room whose life has been interrupted in their everyday life or their life of pursuing and chasing after Jesus, and you find yourself questioning why. Why is this going on? In those moments of trauma, you might find yourself standing face to face with something that is dead. Something that is absolutely impossible and feels hopeless. And you might even be questioning the very essence of your faith. Now, it might not be like a regular death, like someone's in the grave, but maybe it's death of a relationship, death of a friendship, 
death of a dream, death of an ambition, death of a child, death of a loved one, death of a business, death of hope, or something inside of you that feels dead. Uh, if you have been in Sunday school or gone to vacation Bible school, you're going to be familiar with the text that we're going to go through. And if it's your first time to church, you haven't been here in a while, this might feel like a new story. But I want to make this story come to life, but on ching, because the story that we're going to be discussing is Lazarus. And some of y'all know that, so I need you to raise your faith in the room because I believe that God is going to do a resurrecting work in this house today and in the coming weeks. And here's the thing, if you've heard this story before, I pray that there is like new revelation for you. And if this is the first time hearing this story, I want you to stand in awe of how good our God is. Now, the reason why I chose this text, and I'm the same text I'm preaching here at 10 a.m., I'm going to be preaching at 5 a.m., 5 p.m. I'm not that holy, not 5 a.m., 5 p.m. in Orange County. You know why? Because two weeks, according to the timeline of Jesus' life, Jesus did a miraculous work and raised a man named Lazarus from the grave. And when did he do that? Two weeks before Easter. Guess what's happening in two weeks, church? I gave you the answer. Pastor Tim can't answer it. Easter is in two weeks. And the resurrection we see today, I beg of you to go and tell others so that they could experience the resurrection power of Jesus in their own life. So turn with me in your Bible to so John chapter 11. Here we go. A man, wait, 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 hold up. Y'all ain't moving. Y'all don't go to chemistry class without your chem book. You don't get your car without your keys. You don't go to the market without your purse so, or wallet. And so we come to church and we bring our Bible. So you can pull out your phone and you can cheat. But if you don't have a Bible, Pastor Tim will give you one. And I actually put the scriptures on the screen. We're going to go into scripture. You don't know scripture unless you read scripture. So open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. That's a little bow bow this morning, okay? That's like a, a love tap. Here we go. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Jesus, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. Now, this is a different aspect of Jesus. This is not Jesus' rabbi or Jesus' teacher or Jesus' leader. No, this is Jesus as a friend. And scripture indicates that, said that the people who went after Jesus, they, they, they added some, some beautiful language. They didn't just say some rando out in Bethany, he's got a little cold. No, no, they said the one that you love is sick. The one that you love. Now, this is Jesus' homie, his ride or die, his bestie for the restie. If you don't believe me, go ahead and read the book of John. They had a great relationship, so much so that, that it would have warranted the attention of Jesus. Move over, Taylor Swift, hashtag squad goals and elevator selfies. No, Lazarus, Lazarus was a friend of God. And so as Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, saw Lazzie getting sick, they were like, we got Lazzie, it's his friend. So they, we gotta go tell Jesus. I don't know how you read your Bible. I, and he said, we gotta go tell Jesus. We gotta go tell Jesus. So they sent word to go find Jesus. Now this is the equivalent if you have a friend that's a doctor and you're ill, you can call your friend and say, hey, can you come to a home visit? Can you maybe write a prescription or something? Jesus is a miracle worker and he's healing people. So of course, He'd come and get Lazarus. That's what he's supposed to do. In fact, uh, the way that I think this story 
should go is that this group of people find Jesus. They say, Jesus, your, your homeboy, Lazarus, he's sick. And Jesus says, no way. I'm going to go there and heal Jesus. I'm going to go there and heal Lazarus. So Lazarus is sick, laid on a bed. And Jesus touches him. Lazarus says, get up. I'm alive. Praise Jesus. There's a little dance. Hallelujah. He shows up in synagogue on Saturday. It's like, hallelujah. I need me a witness. Don't, didn't Jesus do it? I was sick and now I'm alive. Praise God. Woo! And everyone erupts. And joyous, raucous laughter and celebration. Is that how the story goes? No. No, 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 no. Er, pick it, pick it, remix. That's not how the story goes. I love, I love this, the scene. It's like this group come, chase Jesus, say, Jesus, Jesus, your friend, Lazarus. We ran all the way from Bethany to tell you that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, the sickness is not unto death but to the glory of God. And the friends in my mind are like, Jesus, okay, praise God. Um, but, but, but he's really sick. Like he had a cough, then it turned to a wheeze, now he's got the bronchitis, like he's gonna kick the bucket. And Jesus says, I'm glad this happened. I'm glad this happened. No, 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 no. Jesus waited from when it went from bad to worse. Look at verse five. This sickness is not unto death. Look at verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him. Verse 14, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> what? Girl, he gone. He in the grave. Sayonara. Bob Felicia. He dead. He gone. And then something trippy happened. He said, I'm glad that it happened so that you can believe. That you can believe. Hmm. I find this interesting when we look at the scope of scripture because what is it that we are supposed to believe? I believe that if we get into the minutia of the text, we can say, God, you are able. God, you are good. God, you can. So do it. Fix it. Write what is wrong. Straighten what is crooked. Heal what is ailed. See, but God is God. He's not a genie that we rub and caress for every want and every wish. And sometimes, brothers and sisters in the house, life doesn't make sense. You could be doing everything right and everything is wrong. In that moment when we got that terminal illness about my mom, it was almost as if I heard, I didn't hear, but it was almost as if my soul heard a whisper of God says, do you have faith in me? Do you believe in me? The French philosopher Voltaire says faith consists in believing when it is beyond the power of reason to believe. Can you believe in the middle of the mess that God is working all things out for good? Can you worship him in the middle of the catastrophe, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the confusion? Can you still rise up and say, I believe? And it's not just, I believe you are able, I believe you can, I believe you are good. But even if you don't, you are still the son of God. See, the Bible timeline in this narrative, in this scripture tells us that there is a four-day window. So Jesus stayed where he was more days. So if you add those days up, it's four days. Someone say four days. Now, he's, he's in the grave. Like he's wrapped up in grave clothes, anointed with oil. He's put in a, somewhat of a cave, which is like a tomb, like a burial tomb, uh, like an ancient coffin where you can step into there is a body that is laid down in a rock that is sealed. He had been there four days and so much so that um, his sister, when Jesus is going to do what he's going to do, she said, we can't move the stone because, Lord, he stinketh. He's a little musty and dusty, crusty. You know, he'd been in the grave for four days. Now, why did the Bible note this detail? 
I believe in researching that there is um, an ancient group, an ancient group of rabbis that were proffering this, this belief that the soul could remain outside of the dead body for up to three days. The interesting thing here is that the word in Hebrew for soul and the word in Hebrew for breath are the same. That word is neshama. That word is neshama. So if the soul can linger for three days and breath can linger for three days, breath can come back to life. And what they were saying for up to three days, a person can come back to life. And guess who rolls up on day four like a G? Y'all, that was your cue. Let's do that again. I, okay, I set you up. I set you up. And guess who rolls up to Bethany after four days like a G? Jesus! Jesus rolls into Bethany like a gangster. Yes, he does. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know that you're like, wow, this girl's crazy. Guess what? I'm not your pastor, so if you don't like me, come next week because Pastor Tim's going to drop it like it's hot, okay? Now, I'm just going to teach you how I interpret the Bible. Now, it's my first time preaching in San Francisco, so bear with me for a second. But my love for narrative and biblical exploration comes from my passion of, of narrative and understanding of story. Now this developed at a young age. I would go to my grandmother's house, my Puerto Rican grandmother, Mexican, rican hey, and uh, that's Mexican and Puerto Rican. And I would go to my grandmother's house, my Puerto Rican grandmother's house, and I would sit there with her and she would pour me a cup of coffee and we would watch soap operas at the age of six. It was all the great things. It was all the things my mom didn't let me to do. And we would sit there with our little cafecito watching soap operas. And it was just like all the stories were coming to life. But when I say soap operas, some of y'all are probably thinking like Young and the Restless, General Hospital, One Life to Live. But I'm Latino, which means that when I say soap operas, I'm really meaning novelas. And some of y'all don't really look like me. So I'm going to give you context to understand this. In an American soap opera, a woman definitely has light skin and blonde hair neatly pressed and light makeup, a svelte waist, thighs that definitely don't touch. She will look at her forlorn lover who has just broken up with her and very confused, angsty, and heart-ridden say, but John, I, I don't understand. Please don't leave me. And then in a novella, somebody comes in with back-combed hair like a beehive. Eyelashes so long when she blinks, you feel it through the screen. She comes in like a bat out of hell and screams, Pero Juanita, no se va mi amor, ¿por qué? No entiendo mi amor, no entiendo. No se va, por favor, no se va. Then someone runs in, shoots Juanita. You find out that Juanita's her secret baby daddy and you're like, oh my God. That's the way we need to read the Bible, okay? I'm so tired of this postmodern pontification of like, well, the Bible and the authority of the Bible is just, you know, it's passe. And you know, I don't read the Bible because it's boring. No, boo-boo, you boring, all right? We are going to go through. Jesus rolls in. And in verse 20, we are told that when Jesus gets into town, Martha goes out to meet him. Mm, mm, mm. Martha. Martha finally hears that Jesus is going to roll up. In my mind, the theater of my mind, Martha is like this Puerto Rican girl from the Bronx. And she is like, uh-uh, Jesus is going to roll into town right now, walking on water, healing everybody. And lazy has been sick, and now he's dead, and now he's going to come. Uh-uh, mira, mommy, hold my earrings, okay? He's going to get a piece of my mind. She is turned. She's turned up. Look, 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 look. 
If we put this into a deeper understanding, this was a patriarchal society. Men were in control of everything from finances to education to property, legal, voting, everything. This woman wasn't married. It was her and her sister that were single, like Pringles ready to mingle, but ain't nobody chose them, all right? And who was their covering? Lazarus. So it wasn't, as, it wasn't just that my brother died, my covering, my livelihood, my sustenance, and you were our friend, Jesus. You could have did something and you didn't. Look at what she says. I love her sincerity. Jesus, in verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 23, Jesus says, your brother will live again. And Martha answered, and it's very Christian-y, oh, I know my brother will rise again. I know he'll rise again at the resurrection of the last day. See, we don't understand what this is reference to. There was a promise here that we are all going to be raised to life. And so she got real spiritual. She, for the, those people in church, you know, it's like that Romans 8.28 moment. I know all things work together for good. I know. She got real spiritual with Jesus. And sometimes in the middle of trauma, we, we, it's easy for us to say, bless God, praise God, all things work out for good. But in our heart, do we really mean it? Do we really mean it? And look at verse 25. He says, no, Martha, you don't get it. I am the resurrection. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I have come. I put my brown butt on a plane and came all the way to San Francisco to ask you the question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And this is going to be the challenge. It may not happen right away. That's okay. There's, there's grace for your journey. But can you believe that God can, that he's able, and that he's good? To be a follower of Jesus, we might not know the why, but we know the who. Jesus said to Martha, and I'm whispering to you today so that your soul comes back to life. I am the resurrection. That's not me. That's not Bianca. That's the words of Jesus. I need you to hear it here so that you can hear it here. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Now, the Bible says that when Jesus came into town, Martha, she got added to, she went out, she went to go meet Jesus. But her sister Mary, her sister Mary stayed at home. Now, this is speculation because the Bible is silent as to why she remained. But I believe, I'm like all up in my feelings, me and Drake, we're all up in our feelings. And I am, I'm sensitive. And when I feel betrayed by somebody, I keep my distance. I don't know why she stayed home, but she did. And when Jesus saw that it was just Martha that went to him, he says, go call your sister in verse 28. He asked for Mary and she went quickly to him. Look at verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. For the, the word nerds in here, um, the name Mary in Hebrew, it means bitterness, rebellion, or want of, but specifically the want and desire of a child. The name Mary means bitterness, rebellion, and desire. I want you to see something. What did Mary do? Bitterness, rebellion, and want bowed at the feet of Jesus. What's in your heart today? Are you bitter? Are you rebelling against the things of God? Are you sad because God didn't come through? What's your posture today? 
Because the beautiful thing that we see here is both Mary and Martha said the exact same things, but their posture was different. One copped an attitude and the other bended knee. So what I ask in us t today is what is your posture? Do you believe that God can turn any situation around that he could do it for our good? Will you still love him if he doesn't? See, the, the, the focus, the usual focus, the telling of this narrative focuses on a man, Lazarus, and his friend, Jesus, who healed him. He was dead. And he comes back to life. And God says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, wrapped up like a mummy, comes out like Frankenstein. And everyone's screaming like, he's alive. And he's like, undo me. I'm tied up, right? Get rid of the dead saint clothes. I'm off. I'm alive. I've always wondered if they took off his death robe, like, did he have anything on underneath? But like, would we care? Because he was dead and now alive, right? Like there's bigger fish to fry here. I don't, that's where mine goes. Forgive me. It's not in my notes. Okay, let's go back here. And we could sing, God is great, God is good, God kept his promise like he said he would. That's a throwback for anyone who was raised on Salty, the singing songbook, loved it. God is great, God is good, he kept his promise, and he is, and he does. But there was more than one healing that took place. Lazarus was dead, and he came back to life. But Martha's faith was dead, and it came back to life. And both of those are equally as miraculous. Look at verse 27. Back that up with scripture. I will. I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. And remember, Jesus said, do you believe this? And this is her confession of faith. This is a profession of the divinity of the most high God. In verse 27, she replied, I believe that you are Messiah, the son of God, who has come into the world. Now, this was after the death. This was after Lazarus had been wrapped up and put in a tomb. He's in the grave. Tell him, boy, bye. He's gone, okay? He's dead. She says, I believe. Not because she believed that he could heal her brother, but she does ask. But she, on this confession, said, you are the son of God. Now, this is what we must hold on to when we are called to raise to life because we are called to raise to live. We witnessed it in Stephanie's beautiful, miraculous baptism story. I'm gonna call the band, don't even come on up, because I believe that God is gonna seal a work in our hearts this morning. If we open up our hearts, like the tomb was opened up, Lazarus came forth and I believe that there's dreams, that there's callings, that there's prayers, that there's people, that people have written off. They're dead, maybe that's even you, you're dead. Your dreams are dead, your marriage is dead, your family's dead, there's nothing going on for you. I need you to know that as a follower of Christ, it will cost you everything, but it will strengthen your faith and you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. The question I ask to you is the question that Jesus asked Martha, do you believe? See, we could sit here and say, I was supposed to be a wife but I had that affair and I lost my marriage. I was supposed to be a missionary. I, I, I didn't get funding and, and now I'm here. I was supposed to go to college. I didn't have the money. I was supposed to be a mother, but I'm infertile. I was supposed to be married by now, but no one's chosen me. I was supposed to be healthy, but I'm sick. I was supposed to be a business owner, but you went bankrupt. Can you stare at that thing bound up, tied up in the grave, sealed with the stone and still believe that God can raise it back to life? And will you love him if he doesn't? This is the question that we must ask ourselves and profess what Martha said. I believe 
that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now, for the Marys in here who are just tender and hurt with God, he sees you and he loves you and he's calling for you. Come to me, Mary. For the Marthas, you, you, you go toe to toe with God. You got an attitude, you're upset. I have every reason. You don't know my life. You don't know my story. You don't know what I lost. You know what? God has grace for you. God has grace for me. And he's asking this morning, do you believe? And then I'm going to ask something daring and bold. Do you have faith for someone else? Because Easter is coming in two weeks. I met three people. Bettina's one of them. Where their friend invited them to church. Y'all got two weeks to use your testimony to bring people to church. Because if you believe that Lazarus can come out the grave, so can your loved ones. So can your children and your cousins and your co-worker. Because we don't have to give them this deep theology. We say, it's my story. I was dead and now I live. I was blind and now I see. I was lame, maimed, and walking. I couldn't walk and now God has made me a miracle testimony. And for the skeptics and the doubters who were brought by a friend or you lost a bet or your parent dragged you, I need you to know on Martha's confession, I believe that you are God. You might be sitting here thinking, I can't trust God. In fact, I was in the back and I was praying and I knew, I knew, I can't explain it, but I knew that there was somebody in here that's saying, I can't trust God. I can't trust God because he's let me down. I can't trust God because I can't see him. I can't know him. For the skeptic and the doubter in here, as we begin to worship Jonah, can you just sing over us? Let me tell you what we could trust in Jesus. Because there's no problem that he cannot solve. There's no promise that he cannot keep. There's no prayer too small that he cannot answer. There's no disease that he cannot heal. There's no heart that he cannot mend. There's no relationship that he cannot restore. There's no person that he cannot save. There's no chaos from which he cannot bring peace. There's no pain that he cannot redeem. There's no sin that he cannot forgive. There's no bondage that he can't break. There's no need that he cannot meet. There's no enemy he can't defeat. There's no mountain that he cannot move. There is no dead person that he cannot resurrect to life. So we sing today, church. We declare, God, we declare that your resurrection power is alive in me. Come on. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.